Heather, I have a confession to make. Ooh, I'm all ears. I just bought another bra from Davin and Adley, even though I definitely don't need more, but I can't resist. They are so cute, so comfortable, and they just feel so good. Don't be mad. You deserve a bra. And actually, if you don't buy one for yourself, you should buy one for a friend because nothing shows your support like something that literally gives you support. (laughs) And you should definitely check out this company because Davin and Adley is female-owned, small business run by a breastfeeding mom who's also an experienced intimates designer, and they offer just the most wonderful line of size-inclusive, super cute and sexy combos, um, nursing and pumping bralettes. I absolutely adore them. Me too. And they actually just launched a full-length pumping and nursing tank, which is fantastic for people that don't really like to feel like they're wearing a bra. That is totally me. I would be all about that tank. So if you are plus size or busty or any shape at all, and you enjoy supporting a female-owned company with a beautiful product, head on over to Davin and Adley with a link in our show notes. That's D-A-V-I-N and symbol A-D-L-E-Y and enter promo code MILKMINUTE10 for 10% off. And you can look forward to months of sales during the holidays. They constantly have new discounts running, so you should always check that out. And, you know, I think if you guys head over there, you can support us. We can support Davin and Adley. They can support you. (laughs) It all comes full circle and clasps in the back. Milk Minute, Milk Minute, Milk Minute, yeah! This is Maureen Farrell and Heather O'Neill, and this is the Milk Minute. We're midwives and lactation professionals, bringing you the most up-to-date evidence for all things lactation. So you can feel more confident about feeding your baby, body positivity, relationships, and mental health. Plus, we laugh a little or a lot along the way. So join us for another episode. Welcome to the Milk Minute Podcast, everybody. How are we today? I'm doing pretty good. Well caffeinated, medicated, ready. (laughs) I would be better if my son didn't develop a chronic whistling disorder. What? Yeah. You know how little boys are just generally noisy anyway? Yes, I have a noisy boy. Yeah. Then you add in a little (laughs) touch of ADHD and they Mm -hmm. get like they stim a lot. Yeah. You know, with, like, random squealing and things. Yeah, Griffin does, like, a lot of, like, random shouts. Yeah. Lots of random shouts. Mm -hmm. But just recently, Theo's decided to whistle. And he's really putting his heart into it. You know, he is a whistling machine. It is all day, every day. And it is becoming compulsive. So when I mention something to him about it where I'm like, hey, buddy, you know, uh, or mention anything where I'm just yeah. kind of like, hey, can you pick up your clothes off the bathroom floor? He'll be like, I can't whistle. So, oh, God. you know. It's impressive how much little kids can do that sometimes. I'm I like, know. I can't do that. Well, so then it's turned into, buddy, like you really cannot whistle all day every day. Like your teacher is going to murder you. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just disrupt the classroom like this. And he's like, but I'm really good at it. <laughs> And I good was answer, like, though. Well, yeah, you're good. At, he's like, so it's not annoying if you're listening to something that's pleasant and good. And I'm like, well. Uh, I see uh, somebody probably told him that at some point when he was, like, learning to whistle where they were like, it's really annoying. But if you get better at it, it's not that bad. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. And so now it's become this whole, like, uh, 
if there's music playing, he will whistle <laughs> along to the music. So it's like there's no pe- – it's like double stimulation for me. And so then he's like, but, Mom, you can't even tell I'm whistling because I'm so good <laughs> that like, it's the as same as, as the music. <laughs> I'm like, it sounds like there's someone whistling to the music, Theo. That's what it sounds like. And then uh, – so then. Buddy. My own fault, he talks me into getting a recorder because he has one at his dad's house. And so he's like, I have one at daddy's. I really want one here. I'm getting so good at it, but I don't want to lose my practice. There's such a hard instrument to learn. Why do we make third graders learn them? I do not know. But he talked me into it because it was $7 on Amazon. And of course, I got a two-pack so Heidi could have one too. No. Trying to be supportive and also trying to break the whistling. So here's what happened. (laughs) Now we're just whistling and playing the recorder, mm-hmm. and he's hot cross bunsing. I've had to put, like, <laughs> limits on it where I'm like, no hot cross buns till 9 a.m. or at least until I have two cups of coffee. And so the other day, he just comes in hot with that recorder, and he is <laughs> blaring it. And I said, Theo, I need a minute. Like, I can't do any more recorder. And he looks at me dead in the face, and he goes, I can't do anything musical in this house. <laughs> and he stormed <laughs> off to his room, and I had to go uh-huh. and apologize and I was like, I get it, buddy. I'm just having a hard time being myself. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe when you reclaim your basement, eventually you can make like a music room. Yes. And then make it really cool and fun and be like, look, I even like put some tutorials on the TV for you. And, Mm. you know, here's your music stand and a little instrument place. You know, they're not going to use that. I know. They're going to drag that upstairs to where I am. Heidi turns the recorder over over in her mouth upside down, deep throats it, and blows as hard as she can so it just squeals at top notch. Yeah. Yeah. I I strongly disapprove of recorders for children. I know. Well, a friend of mine once might go missing. (laughs) A friend of mine bought Griffin an Irish whistle once, which is not a dissimilar instrument, but a little bit higher pitched. Oh man. (laughs) And I and I just looked at it, I was like, I love you, but right now Yeah. I hate you. <laughs> right right now, we need to not be doing that. You don't have children, and it shows. <laughs> well, yeah. And, you know, the, the real issue is when he says, well, I have it at my dad's house, and I'm practicing, mm. and if I come here for a week, I lose my abilities. <laughs> yeah. You just have I, – I don't know. There's got to be some boundaries around it. Recorder <laughs> whistling boundaries. Yeah. Only, only recorder <laughs> practice from – 2 p.m. to 5 or something. I don't know. Wow. My house is the very unfun house. Too bad. Too bad. It's the house of He also was pitching this morning. He's like, I need you to have another baby. And I said, why? And he goes, because I need another little companion. That's what he said. (laughs) Maybe if you stop playing the recorder. I know. There's no way I'm bringing a baby (laughs) into this noisy, squeechy, squeeching, screeching house. No, but you could. So when Griffin kept asking for a sibling... You know, he knows how babies are made, but I was very clear with him that, like, it does not work every time. You know, so when he kept asking and I had no interest in it, but I, I, like, used it as a tool. I was like, I'm trying very hard every time I've got an egg to make sure we can have It's just not working yet. I'll keep trying. But in preparation, (laughs) you know, if we're going to have another baby, maybe you can practice wiping your own ass <laughs> or like <laughs> you know things like that so like it you know when we have another baby if we have another baby i'm not gonna have time to do that or like it's got to be quiet in the yeah, house what are you gonna give up to help yeah. the team oh my <laughs> I gosh pitch it as a team effort but i don't know maybe that'll backfire too <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> it could. I don't know. I've at least got him making his own cereal in the morning at nine years nice. old. Nice. Yeah. Baby steps. You know, it's really amazing. Like, my son is so capable. You just have to give him the reason that makes the most sense to him to do things. Like, he can make oatmeal and pasta and all sorts of interesting things. He can cook. He is seven. He will not if he has no reason to. (laughs) But if I'm like, I do not want to make you chicken noodle soup, I'm busy. He'll go get the can himself and he'll take a pot and he'll put it on the stove and he'll put the soup in. He's like, I wanted soup. (laughs) Fair. That's fair. I mean, Theo's like, I'm good. He would rather starve. He's like, the other day he said, can I have another piece of pizza? And my husband watched him walk right by it to go sit down. And my husband was like, why did you not grab a piece of pizza on your way back? And he goes, can you just give me one? And my husband goes, no, you can get up and get your own pizza. And he goes, I'm good then. Never mind. Literally chose hunger rather than getting up and getting his own pizza. That's where we're at. Griffin has started, um, before he asks me for something, he'll move to make sure he's further away from it than I am. Ah. <laughs> like, he'll be on, like, say, one side of me on the couch. He'll, like, climb over to the other side. And then he's like, Mom, can I have a drink of water? You're closer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Meanwhile, Heidi, at three years old, I found in the living room the other day holding an entire bag of grapes. You know how they yeah. open at the mm-hmm. top. But she's using her craft scissors to cut into it because she doesn't know you can just pull it apart. And I said, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm getting some grapes. And, she's like, and she didn't even myself, bother asking. Obviously. Like, this That's is great. the difference in children, guys. I, I think I, I'm seeing it in Lyra, too, man. She can now reach, like, I have a snack box all the time that just the kids can have whenever they want. So they, please stop asking me. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. But Lyra got herself a snack from it the other day. <laughs> and I caught her, like, with a cliff bar on the ground trying to open it with her teeth. <laughs> see, these girls are like, I got it. I see that you're busy. The yeah. boys are like, um, I'm going to be here till I'm 30 and I need you to serve me. <laughs> hey, Griffin's forever. sitting right next to it. Mom, can you get me a snack? Oh, <laughs> God, I hate that. I hate that so much. Well, anyway, today we are talking about the history of bras. Oh, yeah, we are. We do a lot of thinking about bras in our I'm culture. I'm wearing one right now. I'm also wearing one in preparation for the activity I'm going to do later, mm-hmm. which is working out. So I'm wearing a workout bra. We have mm. bras for different activities. It's true. Um, I have a I have a nursing bra on because it was the clean one on the top of my pile. Right. And I also <laughs> still wear nursing bras, even though I haven't nursed in two years. So, you know, for all of you out there who just like never get rid of your very expensive nursing bras, just keep wearing I them. Everyone else them. does. Yeah. But yeah, so they're a hot topic of conversation with lactators everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're devices that are infamous for being uncomfortable and lacking some purpose in most cases, I would say. Yeah. However, some do enjoy bras for decor and cosmetic purposes. Structural support, athletics has been the oldest reason for bras, which we'll get into. But I just want, I wanted to know, like, when did our breasts become such an issue? <laughs> You know, I would also like to know the answer to that question. This was the question. I'm like, why is this such a thing that we have to worry about all the time? Well, and it's it's not everywhere. Not people don't wear bras everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And you know, um, most of you out there can't even get the thing unclipped fast enough for your hungry baby. I tell you what, nothing wakes up a baby faster than that little. Let me just demonstrate just a little. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> or it's it's putting it back when you're like. 
and your baby's listening right now to that and is like looking at you like a dog. Sorry, I woke up all your babies. (laughs) Yeah. It's like Pavlov's dog. They're like, I heard the clip. It's happening. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I want to know like when you're wearing a corset, how did you whip it out? It's much more than a little clip. So like what was the situation there? Um, So let's look back and see what happened and how we got here. But first, let's thank a patron. Oh, yeah. I'd love to thank a patron. Let's thank Sarita F. from West Virginia, a local lady. We're so thankful that you joined our Patreon. Yep. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we're going to do a quick question here. Let's see. We pulled this one from TikTok. This is SublimeChick85 who says, can your flange sizes change? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Your whole body is just one elastic, ever-changing thing. And, you know, those nips uh, are no exception. They change. I would say the areola changes a lot. (laughs) It does. But the actual nipple doesn't change so drastically most of the time. Yeah, I I think for most people, you know, measuring like within the first week postpartum or something, the first couple weeks, you know, if we're ideally not pumping right away, if you do pump right away, measuring right before birth, that kind of gives you pretty accurate sizing. And then I usually tell people, you know, remeasure if something isn't feeling right or if your output's weird. Not everybody changes sizes, but some people will call me and they're like, it, it's, is it possible? My 19s went to a 16. And I'm like, it's possible. Maybe you measured wrong the first time or maybe your nipples just change size because they're, you know, we're like constantly changing all the time and responding to what's happening in our environment. Yeah, my standard is usually when I do a prenatal with someone, I will measure them and I will recommend two sizes. And then we kind of see which one feels better, you know, because it can be the right size technically, but it doesn't doesn't feel feel as good as maybe the next size up. And like, you know, it's fine. We don't have to put your nipples in a box. (laughs) Let's not put them in a box. Don't limit yourself (laughs) and don't put your nipples in a box. I hope that helps. Uh, Yes, I hope so, too. And um, I just want to remind you all out there, if you want personalized advice, maybe help um, measuring for your flange sizes, both of us do that. We offer private consultations in person and virtually. Yep, yep. Let's thank a sponsor and then get into the long, sordid history of our over-the-shoulder boulder holders. All right, it's Maureen here, and I want to tell you that I have finally set up a link so you can instantly book virtual lactation consults Uh, with me. Thank the Lord. (laughs) I know, Heather, it took me a long time to take the leap from in-person visits to virtual, but I did it. You're going to love it. I love doing virtual consults. They are the best. It serves more people. I'm so glad you took the plunge. Thank you. And if you guys out there want to book some time with me, you can go to highlandbirthsupport.com and then click on my lactation services tab. Is that H-I-G-H-L-A-N-D? Yes. Okay. (laughs) I will see you on Zoom, everybody. Welcome back. I'm so excited to hear from you about this, Heather. (laughs) Maureen, I'm going to pull a you, and let's go way back to the 14th century BC. (laughs) Yes. To the ancient Minoan civilization. (laughs) I love it. Let's go way, way back. (laughs) So far back. So like 27 BC-ish to like 476 AD. That's quite a bit of time. Sure. Um, You know, we're getting most of this information from art and some written word even. Sculptures. Exactly. Sculptures to try to get a vibe for like what was hot 
you know, because sex has always been interesting across yeah, cultures and time. too. This is fashion. like an interesting intersection with the brasiers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we're mostly talking about Romans here because that's the art that we have the most of, I would say, from mm-hmm. that time. And, you know, some of the Greek as well. And actually, they weren't super hip to seeing breasts for some reason, according to their art. They Weird. just, like, didn't care about it. Like, there, it wasn't as much, like, naked as it was, like, all naked except for a thin strip of fabric across just <laughs> the nipples. So women would wear... Like, a thin strip for athletics a lot. I mean, honestly, though, like, I see the practicality because I do not want my nipples touching things I'm walking by. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They just point out in random directions, you know? Yeah, it's, like, just enough coverage. And, you know, I was thinking when I saw that about the first time I went to a topless beach when I was 18 (laughs) in the Dominican Republic. And, you know, me and my friend Fran, we got all, you know, ready for it. We were like, we're going to do it. We're pumping each other up. And then, you know, we're laying there topless with our little bottoms on. And within 15 minutes, this old man who's super tan with very white teeth comes, leaves his wife in the chair, comes over to talk to us. And I'm like, no, no, (laughs) what's happening? And I remember thinking, if I could just cover just my nipples, you know, there's something about the nipples for me. It's like, I don't care about showing the breast But the nipples feel like, Howard, don't look at my nipples. I I feel like more than anything, and I just, you know, have to put it out there. I'm very comfortable being naked in front of many lots of people. Um, Actually, I went to Oberlin College, and I lived in a co-op where we had these, like, Roman showers, (laughs) as you would call them. And we had signs, you could say, no, don't come in. But there were, like, six shower heads, so you could shower with your friends, which I liked. Um, it was fun. It was social hour in the shower. <laughs> social hour in um, the shower. But it's just, like, in daily life, your nipples are very sensitive. Yeah. It's just, like, I just don't want them being sunburned. Right. Or, like, the chafed. sun. Think about the sun. Like, what if, what if, like, I am often, like, catch my hip on the corner of things. Like, what if that was my nipple? This is the same reason <laughs> I wear underwear with jeans. Yeah. You know, like, you just don't want anything rubbing on Mm-mm. jeans. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. some people do it. They fascinate me. I can't do it. But anyway, that's what was happening back then. It made some sense to me, I guess. And we also have some literary references to more supportive bras, like Homer writing Homer. the Iliad sure. actually writes about Aphrodite's embroidered girdle Ooh. being loosed from her breasts. Right. So that's hot. Sure. You know? Also, like, girdles were supportive AF, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, this one's embroidered. Like, what does that mean? Is it, like, crocheted? I mean, there's, like, a picture I mean, of it. it pr- I wonder if there were, like, little, like, flowers structured. embroidered. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but... You know, that's like a chapter four vibe of a romance novel. You know, we're yeah, not yeah. quite at the heavy hitters I, yet, but it's something's getting loosed from your breast. And you're like, Homer. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So other than a few references to goddesses or like Helen mm-hmm. figures wearing these decorative thingies, we don't really have evidence that it was commonplace. Sure. So it Sounds was not expensive, mass you know. produced. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was like way back then. And now we're going to just hop right forward into like 1315 to 1480. Sure. Let's move on forward. So we have some European writings that mention breast bags or shirts with bags that women use to contain their breasts. I imagine there was like a lot of physical labor going on back then. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
I'm sure women were just kind of like tired of having to have them bang around in a city <laughs> environment. Like we're, we're living in some towns now at yeah. this point. Well, and if we're thinking like the most of the population is doing work. So what would you do, especially if you had larger breasts to contain them? You'd probably just like scoop them up a little bit, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, still though, as women were trying to like, not necessarily highlight them, but if I'm putting my boobs in a bag, like a breast bag, there's probably a reason for it. Yeah. But a lot of like the upper crust men were calling them indecent. Of course they were. Yes. And quotes like all the young men that look at her can see her beautiful breasts. <laughs> so I'm sorry, should they have been like tying them to their waist, you know, just like pulling them down? <laughs> yeah, just tuck it in the belt. Um, but yeah, the fashion in that century required breasts to be lifted and separated to achieve the oh, look. Oh, yeah. I've seen a lot of um, paintings where, like, these days we're kind of into, like, the cleavage look together. Mm-hmm. Not quite the mono boob, but, like, close. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting, like, paintings and sculptures where they're just kind of, like, they're really spaced. Yeah, and that was called the apple breast look. I see that, yeah. So... That's kind of Just exciting. Just for everybody out there who has widely spaced breasts, those uh, were and are still desirable. But they still didn't have their own area. Mm-hmm. Like, it was still, like, one bag, but just lifted. Sure. Whatever. I mean, the underboob sweat, it's not like that's a new thing. Oh, don't worry. We're getting into that. (laughs) That applies to lactators everywhere. Trust me. So now, like 1500 to 1800, we have most wealthy women in the Western world, which is hard to say 10 times fast, (laughs) um, that are in corsets. Yes. So these are supposed to be helpful. Healthcare providers were recommending them for abdominal support, and they basically were supposed to transfer the weight of the breast to the rib cage. Yeah, I, you know, I've did some weird, uh, you know, rabbit hole diving about corsets before, and learning that, like, you know, the most commonly used corsets were more supportive. They were not like too restricting, mm-hmm. and they were sort of just like a structured shirt, essentially. And not what we think of when we think of corsets. We're like the itty bitty six inch waist and height, you know, somebody's foot in your back, like pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the tight lacing. Yeah. So you're you're absolutely right. And this was the mono boob situation. Sure. So we are supposed to highlight our tiny torso and then we have a conical vibe of a shape mm-hmm. up towards the breast, which are supposed to really... I don't know what highlight your chastity is what they said. Interesting. In a couple things that well, I found. And I know the styles have varied where like some corsets didn't include the breasts at all. They basically stopped yes. like an, where an underwire does and others come halfway up and others come more the way up. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that probably had a lot to do with like money and yeah. how much fabric and, you and actually fashion had. And function. Right. And exactly. And so... We know now, by the way, that restricting your abdomen <laughs> is not great for pelvic floor what? health. You know, limiting your your muscles' ability to, like, function does not help your other muscles that are integrated with it. So I'm sure all these people that used long-term corsets had, like, bladders between their knees. Oh, God. You know? And also, like, pregnancy corsets were a thing. Yeah. Good Ugh. God. I actually did not see anything on that. Okay, so I... <laughs> I've looked these up before because I saw them in some TV show and I was like, wait, 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 wait. And like the the goal was kind of to like push the bump lower down because 
like, you could hide it under a dress then. Oh. But, like, if it was really high up, it would, like, interfere. But it was, they're pretty crazy. They're, like, pretty wide at the bottom, you know? And you would kind of, like, lace, like, push down. Oh, It was God. weird. Anyway. Poor fetuses. <clears throat> yeah. That was so... Uh. Well, they all turned out fine. Well, listen, speaking <laughs> from someone who had a shotgun wedding with a dress that had whalebone in the side, I can tell you <laughs> that somebody didn't get to eat dinner that night because I went from, oh, like, God, okay to not okay in about a week Ugh. between, like, the last fitting and the wedding. I was, oh, like, God. 14 weeks pregnant when we finally got married. Yeah. And what an absolute nightmare. So, like, I can't even imagine what those women were going through. I could not hide it. In fact... Some girl switched me dresses in the bathroom. Like, oh she didn't God. wear mine. She was staying yeah. at the hotel. Gave me the dress off her back to put on at my own wedding because <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to survive. And then my, my dress got laid out in the uh, lobby. And then my Uncle Bernard went and tried to put it on. <laughs> fun. That sounds like a fun <laughs> We time. call him Aunt B. Anyway, uh, it was a good time. So Did it fit him? Uh, not quite. That's not really quite. Although it was close. stunning. It probably, it was close. So, <laughs> um, so these corsets that we're talking about here that mostly everybody wore either long line or short line were mostly quilted. And mm-hmm. it was only later that people started sticking pieces of wood and then later on boning into the sides, which okay. then restricted their physical labor. So this yeah. is where we see a real divide in like upper crust and physical labor people. You know, I can see the quilted ones acting a lot more like a waist support band, like when you're lifting really heavy things, yep. you know, I, I could definitely see that happening, but the the wood and the metal and the bone, no. Yeah, exactly. Bad. And so you can actually breastfeed in a corset. Mm. And I got this information from a girl who does period pieces Ooh. as an actress. And she was breastfeeding all of her kids for like five years that she was doing a bunch of period piece movies. Cool. And so she had a whole blog about tips on breastfeeding <laughs> your baby in a corset. I'll link it in the show notes. Sure, that's She's so very cute. widely applicable knowledge. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, this is kind of firsthand. And she's that's wearing awesome. authentic corsets. That's really cool. Well, and I imagine otherwise the clothing probably accommodates nursing because it was just all, like, buttoned up and laced. And, like, you know, I know, like, at least in that time period, like, a lot of the undershirts just had a big drawstring around the top. And, like, everything had buttons, you know. So many buttons. So many buttons. Well, so, so we, had a, we had a couple <laughs> options here. So yeah. if – if you were probably more well-off, you could get the corset that had boob doors that could be oh, unlatched. I, I put a picture doors. there on the left. Little beep beep. Yeah. So, like, right above the waist, there's, like, uh, basically a bra-shaped door that mm-hmm. is buttoned up with two buttons toward the midline. And you open it like a door, like Very a barn cute. door. Peek-a-boos. Super cute. Then we have other corsets that are more, like plates where they end at the nipple line, which I imagine sure. is incredibly uncomfortable. So you could just like pop pop a nip out there. Right. So it's you great. actually lift your breast up and over the corset. Oh, and then we even have evidence of people that would lift their breast up and over to breastfeed and then rebutton the top neck button for <laughs> modesty. See that picture right there? Yes, I do. It looks uncomfortable. It looks, look at her face. Yeah. She's not well, happy. Well, she's also sitting for like 
like a tin type photograph that looks Victorian, right? She's probably sitting there for six so hours. So she's probably sitting there for like three whole minutes holding her baby rigidly being like, do not move or this photo that I paid so much money for is not going to come out. And I also like, it's interesting to me that she did take a breastfeeding photo in a tin type. You know, there was a time that was popular to take breastfeeding photos and portraits. Why? Yeah. I, I, wa- I need to know Just more. We'll do a breastfeeding portrait history. Yeah. The Brelfie, a history. <laughs> Let's do it. it. Put it on the list. <laughs> um, so... Anyway, we're moving on now, and from this point on, the obsession with bras pretty much sticks with Europe and uh, sure. North America from this point on. Everyone else in the world, Asia, Africa, Latin America, were like, nah, until Except- like hundreds of years later. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would imagine in other places having like boob holders for like functional stuff existed. Yeah. Like if you're like running or something, or maybe they were just used to the movement. I don't know. Yeah. And also, you know, we didn't have, we were industrialized. So we did, or Europe had a lot of industrial stuff happening mm-hmm. where you had access to like metal. Right. You know, where you could do things. The like Iron Age. Things. No, that's way before. <laughs> <laughs> the Iron Age. The, the after, uh, what is it? The early modern period or whatever. Yeah. So pretty much until about 1800, everyone was in a corset. Fun. And around okay. 1800, women just were like not having it anymore. Good. And they started putting together societies like the Rational Dress Society. I would be a member. A hundred percent you would. And the National Dress Reform Association. That sounds too center for me. And, yeah. Yep, it does actually. <laughs> and then of course we had healthcare providers that were finally pushing back on the corsets. Were they? Oh, that's good. Yeah. They were like, oh, we're finding some significant did, concerns about they corsets. Like dissect cadavers and they were like, I wonder why their liver has this weird shape. You know, maybe that, but also maybe like, why is everyone's bladder between their knees? Maybe that's a problem. <laughs> so all of those groups and healthcare providers were finally advocating for more reasonable dress clothes for women. Good. Um, Parisian women got real aggressive about it mm-hmm. and um, they actually burned their corsets in Paris got in it. 1790. You, you love, love a Paris woman. I know. But unfortunately, it did take until the early 1900s to get rid of the corset for good. Mm. And we'll get into that in a minute. Um, So a lot of what I had heard about bras is that they originated in France as like a sexual thing. Is that true? So we didn't really see that so much. I will Mm -hmm. say that what I did find interesting was there's a lot more females that had patents on bras and a lot of them were more for function Mm -hmm. as opposed to like the history of breast pumps Mm -hmm. which were really like male driven in the patents so although the first recorded patent for a bra was a man from that point on the ones that were really popular and commercially available were patented by women interesting and so we don't really see the bras become incredibly horrific until later on (laughs) You know, when men get involved. So 1859, our first bro, our first bra bro, Henry Lesher, he gets a patent for a bra-like device that gave a symmetrical rotundity to the wearer's breast. Great. Dude also came up with the perspiration shield (laughs) slash breast pad to help us with our sweaty boobies. I mean, I'm pretty on board with that. Okay, but (laughs) apparently it it was incredibly complicated and uncomfortable. Oh, great. Uh, He was also trying to solve for pit stains. At the same time. Interesting. And I guess because I, your clothes, like your bras and your clothes, you probably don't have a lot of them. A lot. 
And so they he's, still don't get washed a lot. Your bras. <laughs> <laughs> so, but listen to some of the things that were involved in this dude's bra. Okay, There's some that are just hilarious to me. Okay, okay. So we had the shields, which were meant to protect the armpits from. Were they like cotton pads, or were they like? Something else. No, they were made of India rubber cloth. Oh, that sounds breathable. like so sweaty. <laughs> but listen to this. The cloth was constructed in a way that allowed the cups to inflate as what? needed to help with the symmetry and beauty of Do the breast. Do you have a picture? I need to see a picture. Um, Is that it down there? Yes. <gasps> that's it. So oh, what you're like supposed the- to do to inflate it is so it has tubes that go to it and they taper downward right under the breast pads and to inflate them you had to blow them up with your mouth. This is wild. <laughs> They're like like you've got like little bladders on your boobies you I can know. like <laughs> <laughs> But then he was the first one to use an elastic band to attach the cups together which is like the bridge between the cups. Sure. So yay. And then it had a belt that sat around your waistline. So Fun. it's like, you know, anchor of, that. You hints know. of corset kind of stuff. Well, and I imagine like I don't know, I can just imagine a guy looking at this and being like, How will it stay in place? <laughs> we should belt it. Could we solder it to her body? Um Okay, so I'm not going to read all of that, but those were the highlights of how freaking weird that was. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it looks like a device that you would wear to, like, it's, it reminds me a little bit of, like, fake boobs. Like that, you, you know, like drag queens might wear something that's just like this whole rubber chest sheet. Yeah, you know? it's like the ultimate it's, chicken cutlet. God, which... I mean, I know those aren't that comfortable, but it, the armpit things, oh, man. Yeah, save save it. I don't need it. Uh-uh. We don't need little – they're like little armpit rubber aprons. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know Do what we're doing. you just walk with your arms like a foot out from your body at all times? I would because I would not be able to stand – like I can barely stand the sensation of certain fabrics under my arms. Yeah. You know, just like normal cottons and stuff. You know there were some defiant teenagers who just cut that shit out of their armpits, <laughs> out of their dresses completely, where they were just I like so. free armpitting. Good God. Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor, Aeroflow. Aeroflow is your one-stop shop to get the most popular breast pumps and accessories through your insurance. Yeah, so don't let your insurance go to waste. Why don't you let Aeroflow do all the dirty work for you? You never have to call your insurance when you use Aeroflow, and they remind you when you're eligible for free replacement parts. Yep, so when you're tired in your postpartum period and you're wondering why your pump isn't working as well, you might get a text that says, did you know you need replacement parts? And you say, I did not know that. You push a button and boom, they show up at your door. Thanks, Aeroflow. Thank you so much. Go ahead and check out the link to Aeroflow in our show notes and order your pump through them. Heather, when you were nursing Heidi, did you get thirsty every single time? Every single time I sat down to nurse, it was like the Sahara Desert had taken up residence in my mouth. Same. And my go-to drink right now is Liquid IV. Oh, me too. Liquid IV makes your water work harder because it has a hydration multiplier in it that's great tasting, non-GMO, and it actually has cellular transport technology that delivers hydration to the bloodstream faster and more efficiently than water alone. You can also get their immune support blend, energy blend, or even one that helps with your sleep health. 
My personal favorite is lemon lime, and I think it actually makes me drink water two times faster, which is always handy when you have a screaming baby in the room. I really like the tangerine, and if you want to try that today, you can go to the link in our show notes and use our discount code MILK underscore MINUTE for 15% off your order. That's MILK underscore MINUTE for 15% off your liquid IV today. Happy drinking. So now we're moving to 1876, where we have dressmaker Olivia Flint, Mm. who was granted four patents covering the true corset or the Flint waist. And this bra was designed for large-chested women, finally. She was the first person to ever think about big-busted people. That's very kind of her. Very kind. And she also introduced the idea of rubber thread, which we now know as elastic. Oh, hell yeah, girl. Like, smarty. Smarty, smarty. Um, So then 1893, this is probably where you're thinking, like, the French Mm -hmm. sexual stuff. This was Marie Tukek, um, who developed the first underwire bra. Come on, Marie. Did you have to? I know. Um, So these bras were the actual tits. Like, they didn't even cover your tits. They were basically just resting boobs on metal plates supported by shoulder straps. You can still get bras that are kind of like this, where they just have rigid padding as like one inch under the boob and then there's like a lace that pulls mm-hmm. your whole boob in. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I imagine they're very uncomfortable, but better for breastfeeding. So sure. who knows what she was thinking, but maybe sexual, just, maybe also. Like, metal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was metal. But this was the first time ever that each breast got their own pocket. Ooh. And the nipples just jutted straight out. So they were high and sure nipply. Did. Sure did. So easier for breastfeeding, though. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So now 1911 is the first time the word brassiere is coined by American Vogue. So um, prior to that, I don't even know what they called it. Um, 1914, the first modern bra is patented. Okay. The first time ever that women realized that boobs weren't supposed to be smushed together and that they were meant to be naturally I'm separated. A boob. Yeah. So this was Mary Phelps <clears throat> Jacob, who was a socialite who actually was like, I'm over this. And she's the first one who employed two silk handkerchiefs okay. and a pink ribbon to do the trick. That where, sounds so much more comfortable. Yes. That's the whole point. She was like, women need... Everything they've ever imagined about a bra. They need it to be lightweight, easygoing, comfortable, and it needs to naturally part the breasts. So they're not like constantly being smushed together or Mm -hmm. pulled apart. They just need to hang where they're going to hang. So that was nice. And this was a bra that actually won worldwide usage and acceptance by women. So this is where we're starting to influence the rest of the world. And we're starting to talk more about it. Um, this is also moving into like flapper eras, mm. and also World War One. We have mm-hmm. metal shortages. Oh yeah, so, so yeah, so you actually, don't stick those in your clothes anymore. Right. So the government was like, "Hey, women, um, can we ditch the corsets for the war efforts?" And women were like, "Can we?" Did they like recollect Absolutely. them to recycle the metal? They did, and so <laughs> they're just big piles of corsets on the side of the road. I probably <laughs> they pulled it all out, melted it down, Hell turned yeah. it into bullets and everything else. And actually, the U.S. saved twenty eight thousand tons of metal. Whoa! Which they used to build two battleships from corsets. Those ships were the tits. Corset one and corset two. <laughs> tits up battleships. Tits up. So now the modern bra is spreading across Asia, South America, and Africa. 
Um, but during the 1920s, we have the Symington bra, mm. which was for the flappers, where we were supposed to be thin, like waif thin, no boobs. We're supposed to be very boy-like, I would cut not our have hair. Fit in. Yeah, <laughs> you would have wanted to, but it might not have been for it you. It just would never have happened for me. Yeah, so this one is more like a bandeau that is meant mm, to flatten, I and see. it just. It's like a sports bra, kind yeah. of. Um, but, of course, we have to have polarizing things happening at the same time. So all the flappers running around in their bandos. Then you've got the women over here who were like, ugh, those dirty little boy-shaped women. <laughs> They're ruining it for everyone. We need to finally be in our true form, the maiden form. Ugh, and I'm they sure. developed the maiden form bra, which still, by the way, did not have cup sizes until 1949. Were they all custom-made? Yes, they're all custom made. Uh, that does sound kind of nice, though, just to have the standard to be custom. You go in and they're like, let me just make you something that fits you. Well, there, uh, I think a lot of lingeries or whatever you call them, stores, they did have custom made ones. But mm. they also were starting to move towards large scale commercial distribution in the 1930s. Sure. So this is where things get like weird because you have these commercially available bras in department stores and things, mm -hmm. but no cup sizes. So... It's very weird. They uh. Well, they, they did eventually put cup sizes in because I'm sure they realized, like, hey, women have no clue how to buy these things. Small, medium, <laughs> and, and large is And come in different sizes despite the fact that we want them all to look the same. Exactly. So they developed the letter cup scale based on how much the breasts sag. Stop. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, and it only went up to a D. So I would probably size out of that pretty quick <laughs> yeah so but i was cracking up thinking about like oh man before they had cup sizes what did the douchebags in high school even joke about yeah <laughs> you know they didn't have anything women to didn't like go to high school before that <laughs> yeah well, those women were at home anyway. um so then again you know we're moving into the next world war underwire mm. bras could not hit the market until after sure. that because we needed the metal sounds fine though right thank you and then we actually developed nylon and lace tex mm. fabric which is like the spanks, spanks. fabric um around this time which was very nice. Mm -hmm. And in 1943, we have our first patented nursing bra. Oh, that's early. Mm -hmm. I kind of figured that would have been later on the scene. Well, you know why? What happened after the war? Boom, boom. Boom, boom, babies. <laughs> we have all these people who are still breastfeeding, actually. Yeah. So the formula hasn't really become... Right, At right, this point, it wasn't like... Available for it was everyone. On the rise. It was on the rise, but not quite yet. And so most people who were poor, having eight and ten and twelve children, are still breastfeeding. So we have to have a bra because now it's socially acceptable mm -hmm. to have a bra, but we have to have access to do it. And you can check out our history of formula episode in the show notes if you're interested in how that happened. Oh, and so we have the, the first nursing bra, but all of the other bra manufacturers didn't want to go back to the drawing board and make their own, so they just started adding clips to all of their current bras. I mean, that's reasonable, to be honest. Like, I, I, I know it's hard. It's like maybe – I can't quite, quite figure out if this is still happening, but it used to be you could just, like, bring any bra to Nordstrom, and they would add the nursing clip for you, but now I think, like, only some of them participate in it and whatever. Oh. But, like – that would be nice. What I if think we most people are, I don't know, I'm going to say most people are going to end up ditching the bras and going back to the linen fabric strip. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. So 1947, 
cleavage makes a comeback, mm -hmm. as well as breast padding to push the breast into a cleavage shape. So the first push-up sure. bra. Um, fun fact, the same dude who invented that invented the thong in the 80s. Of course he did. So he did a lot of thinking about how to smush parts of women together as well as separate them. Right. Great. That's, That's a weird just, claim to fame. I just feel like what kind of person was he? I don't know. Hmm. How else can I manipulate the woman's body? Very Let's weird. Find out. Yeah. So 1950, we have the bullet bra, which I have never understood. I think these are so funny. You know what I'm talking <laughs> I about. I do, the pointy. Full cone shape, pointy situation. Which like escalated into like the 80s almost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I never liked or understood these. Honestly, I feel like I, while I would not wear them every day, I feel like I could throw one on some days and just be like, titties lead the way like yeah we're gonna like let I'm a people bot. know we're coming <laughs> oh my gosh and so this is where they're also learning to like cut on the bias uh. so you can have more stretch in your fabric and uh. fill it out because you can't yeah. have a cone shape with a round breast it's like square peg round hole you know <laughs> yeah unless you I've, already have cone i've boobs. met very few people who have like even close to a naturally cone shaped baby. exactly <laughs> So that is interesting. interesting. Um, but then after that, we have Victoria's Secret that mm -hmm. starts to come on the scene. Um, She's an old man who lives in Ohio. Yeah. We, <laughs> we kind of know how that shit turned out. But, you know, yeah. in case you didn't know, Victoria's Secret has been slowly declining due to competition from other brands that are more size inclusive. But, bro, in the 90s, that stuff had us gripped so hard. Oh, yeah. We're going to we're gonna circle back. But okay. just FYI, Victoria's Secret just closed 250 of their stores in 2020 Good. and nearly 25% reduction of all retail locations because following the pandemic. Suck. Yeah, because they suck. So 1991, we now have variable cup sizes. It was oh, not that long ago. And that, I was I was too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a one-handed unlatching method. Mm. Which was obviously invented by a woman. Yes. Named Mary Sanchez. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Mary. <laughs> uh, t 2009, we have memory foam bras and gel bras. Do you remember those? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, those are basically as comfortable as my $100 unusable memory foam pillow, <laughs> if you can recall. Um, I remember uh, having, like, double-A boobs yeah. and getting a gel bra and trying to lift my barely anything there boob on top of the gel, and <laughs> it would end up just slipping below the gel, and then I had empty cup between the bra and my chest, and then it was just smashed in the gel. Yeah, this was definitely around the time that I was, like, the most minimalist <laughs> So I don't think I was actually buying any anything new in 2009. Oh, I was. <laughs> I absolutely was. Um, and it was, I argue it was before 2009. I'm sure. I do remember when I graduated high school in like 07 was kind of like what felt like to me as peak push-up season. Yeah. Where it was just like, and of course I was shopping at Victoria's Secret like everybody else. And, you know, you'd put these bras on and, yeah, you're, you're like, you'd have, like, just as much volume as your boob just in, like, all around it, pushing them up so you couldn't breathe. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, prior to 2009, I was, pro it was probably 2004, maybe even before that, that I had a water bra. 
What? Yeah. And it had a little sack of water that would fit. I did not have one of those. You didn't? Well, you had big boobs. I had nothing. So you would like slip it into the little crevasse in the bottom and it was removable. What? Yeah. So I think that like, I remember there was maybe like one year where I was like, I need a push-up bra. And I was like 15 or something and had like, I had like C cups, you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like the, it was like small for me. And, um, and then I just got so much bigger <laughs> that I was like, can I please have a bra that doesn't push them up? There's too much of that. I don't want them up. I want to breathe. Well, when you have big breasts and you push them up yeah it just like encroaches on your lower neck and pushes all your chest tissue and it just just makes them look bigger oh it's so uncomfortable i don't know well also in 2009 we have elena bodnar who invented the emergency bra or the e-bra that can be quickly converted into a gas mask what and this idea came to her after the chernobyl disaster and she actually won the nobel public health prize for it yeah so it even has a radiation sensor built into it in the bridge of the Whoa. bra that connects the cups. <laughs> I can't with this. That is cool. Crazy. Yeah. What? Yeah. So that's nice. And you can actually purchase one today for about $60 online, get, but they only have one. one color and the color is red. That's fine. I need one of those. Yeah. My emergency bra. I Holy find it so crap. funny that they only have them in red. It's like I you're mean, ready for anything. Go for it. Okay. Are you ready for the future? Yes. The What's bras the of the future. Okay. Um, so set to hit the market at the end of 2023 mm-hmm. is Sybil Chen's new invention, which is a wearable bra with a built-in breastfeeding pump feature, which also what? stores the milk, which allows women to no longer inconveniently go out of their way to pump. And she's currently winning all kinds of what awards in tech and innovation. How, are there ice packs in there? Too? I have so many questions. <laughs> I do not know. Have you? Okay. So have you seen those like, so we all know about, like, the chicken cutlets, but have you seen the weird bras that are just the pads on the sides and then this, like, V-shaped thing that holds them together under your boobs? No. Oh, my. Okay. So these are supposedly, like, the new bra that's really comfortable. I don't – what do I even call them? i got to Google them for you. V-shaped side boob holders? <laughs> Let's see. They're, like, a strapless – yeah, Mrs. Kisses strapless – Look at that. What? So it's like, it's like I don't know, something rigid, metal maybe, that's like a rigid wire. And then you put different size pads on the side depending on your cup size. And it's supposed to like, I don't know, it doesn't look comfortable because I all I can think about when I look at those is what is that wire doing to my tummy when I sit down? Right. I imagine I would sit down and that shit would pop out of there. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and oh, then my boobs would just be dangling. And they're $127. Yeah, they're not the only company that makes them, but that's that's being touted as, like, one of the most innovative new bra designs. Because basically every bra has looked essentially the same for 100 years. Yeah. Listen, they go <laughs> up to a 50J. Yeah. So, I, like, part of me kind of wants to get it. But I'm just like, are they made for fat girls? Because, <laughs> like, what is that doing in my stomach? <laughs> I just feel like at the end of the day, I would take it off and I would have this V-shaped divot, like, right above my oh, belly yeah. button. Oh, yeah. Or, like, sometimes when I'm bending over and I, like, 
cough or something and it feels like part of my muscle gets sucked under my rib, <laughs> is that what it's going to feel like? I feel like if you did that, it would just like leverage it so the whole thing shot across the room. Also, the pads are biogel, which is water resistant and sweat proof. No, that does not sound nice. And I want them volumizing. to absorb the sweat. Thank you very much. Oh, my goodness. This is so good. I'm going to contact them and see if they want to send us one. I will try it out. Because also, like, it kind of just leaves your nips out. So I imagine you could breastfeed just fine. It almost looks like two paddles that you would use to resuscitate somebody, like the electric paddles. It's just on the side of your boobs with a wire connecting they look at the bottom. wild. Yeah. They have, like, special fittings and stuff, too, because nobody well, knows have how to. to fit them. Yeah. You'd have to. I just, like... I just can't imagine what that bottom thing is doing. Yeah. But look, this lady's got like the same size boobs as me. Mm Mm-hmm. She seems happy in the picture. She does. But anyway, I obviously have questions about the bra that is also a pump that (laughs) also stores your milk. So many questions. But they're expected to launch at the end of next year, so we'll see. Yeah. like, Like, do you have to take the whole bra off to take the milk out? Or is there like a tube and you're just like, and then and then you put it over a bottle and it just like empties out? Don't know. (laughs) These are answers I don't have. But I guess like one of the biggest stories that like made her think of this was her friend is a pilot. Mm -hmm. And I might be butchering this story. But the the, uh, airline was giving this breastfeeding parent a rough time about pumping Mm -hmm. like how are you going to be a pilot and even if you're pumping with a wearable bra you still have to go take care of the milk and and or it spills you know so a lot of the time those things leak Mm -hmm. I don't I mean not all of them leak but a lot of them do it's a common problem yeah it's a very common problem so she's trying to solve for you know the leaking issue and the long term I appreciate the innovation and I am fascinated yeah, let's see. TBD. And slightly concerned. <laughs> well, I, I think the main takeaway here is that I'm pretty happy that so many women were yes. involved in bras and that they're still involved in it, still thinking about how to make it better. They are thinking about breastfeeding as it relates to bras. Nice. They're thinking about public safety as it relates to bras. So, I mean, I'm not mad at it. I kind of no. thought I was going to be a little mad about it. Like, oh, it's going to be so like sexual. How can we make women this and this You and know, this? I mean, there's definitely an element of that of like high fashion and bras and stuff that we didn't go so deep into today. I think, though, I am happy to see that people are starting to rethink it and are starting to think about like comfort and function and all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, Let's take a break to thank our sponsor. Sure. And then we're going to come back and give an award Let's to one of that. our patrons. Sounds good. Do you have a baby that struggles with excessive gas, fussiness, colic, and general sleep problems? Well, I did, but then I used Avivo probiotics. Avivo is a pediatrician-approved probiotic for babies that's even used in NICUs on the gentlest tummies all over the United States. It is an amazing, unique product that contains a specific strain of B. infantis that we need to digest human milk oligosaccharides. That's actually 15% of breast milk that your baby will then be able to utilize, whereas if you don't have the bacteria, 
there's so much extra in the gut, which is why American babies poop like 10 times a day more <laughs> than babies that are colonized with B. infantis. I have personally seen this probiotic help my baby and the babies of many of my clients. And frankly, if we're dealing with any of these symptoms, it is the first thing I go to. And the best part is it's not like any other probiotic that we would take when we're sick or taking antibiotics where you take it every time you go through antibiotics for the rest of your life. If you give your baby Bivivo in the first 100 days of life, it actually colonizes in their gut and becomes a part of their immune system, which then they can pass to the next generation. And this is how we make change, y'all. Avivo is amazing because it's gonna safeguard your baby's health today and give you peace of mind in the future. Check out Avivo Probiotics through the link in our show notes. And enter code MILKMINUTE for $10 off. All right, welcome back. It's time for our award in the alcove, and I'm so excited today to give our award to Sarah Faber, who's a patron from Rochester, New York. Sarah, thank you so much for your support, and we can't wait to read your award. Yes, so Sarah says, well, I guess a win of mine then would be getting to six months without wanting to pull out my hair. Yeah, same girl. <laughs> my second time around has been so much easier, even with a bout of mastitis than my first. Honestly, I wish I had known about this podcast back then because I needed it then. It's bittersweet because I almost don't want this journey to end because it's hopefully my last kid, but I'm also so proud to reach six months. Sarah. Good job. And I think that's going to give a lot of people who are about to be second time parents a lot of hope that it's going to be easier this time. Mm -hmm. So we're going to give you the Easy Operator Award. Absolutely. It's so wonderful when you can make these things easier. That's the whole point of this whole podcast <laughs> is how we can make this easier for you guys. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us, Sarah. And thank you guys all for listening to another episode of the Milk Minute Podcast. The way we change this big system that is not set up for lactating parents is by educating ourselves, our friends, our loved ones, and the fashion industry and what we actually need. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you liked this episode or any other episode, please consider helping us out by telling a friend about this podcast, sharing it on social media, or considering joining our Patreon. Whoop, whoop. All right. Well, we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye. It's a myth.